HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas, the new podcast from the anti-hunger organization Share Our Strength. Listen at strength.org slash passion. I'm Tim Gunn, author, educator, and Project Runway mentor, and you're listening to Heritage Radio. Welcome to the second season of Magnifico Radio. I'm your host, Kate Black. If you're listening live on the Heritage Radio Network, it's 1 o'clock Eastern, and it's Monday. Welcome. And if you found us on iTunes or Stitcher, don't forget to give us to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Each week, I sit down with designers, makers, and leaders in sustainability to discuss the latest in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. This podcast is an extension of my blog, Magnifico.com, and that's magnifico.com, and my book, also called Magnifico, Your Head-to-Toe Guide to Ethical Fashion and Non-Toxic Beauty. And today, we're discussing fashion and local production with New York City um, fashion designer Mimi Planche. Hi, Mimi. Hi. How are you? you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. It's such a pleasure. It's so nice to talk to you again. I haven't spoken to you in ages. I know. It's been too long. And you've been really busy. Let's just jump right into all of the things that I've seen these collaborations um, on. So let's let's start off with the, um, the exhibit at FIT, the Black Fashion Designers. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, I was totally honored. Um, I was contacted by Ariel Chantel, who um, was one of the curators for the exhibit, along with Elizabeth Way, and um, she told me that they were putting together, you know, an awesome exhibit. I think it's, it's quite historical because nothing has been done of this nature before, and um, they got together 60 designers from um, the very beginning to up until now, designers that are no longer with us, and um, and what they tried to do was showcase everybody's look, um, everybody's um, core, I guess, what, what their design aesthetic was, and to, to show the different range of, um, of fashion that African Americans and Africans throughout the diaspora have been able to um, contribute to the industry. And um, one thing that was really interesting was when I first, um, was contacted about it. I I really don't like the idea of this whole separate, you know, black fashion designers. 
um, because I just felt like, you know, we're all just designers, and I feel like when we keep ourselves separate, it makes the conversation about race where, you know, when you start designing, it's not even, you, race may not even be something that you're interested in, per se. But the show is not about that, and it's just a showcase, especially to show that, you know, black designers have a range of work um, and that we've contribute, contributed, you know, to um, the industry and just to show all the different things that we do. So even though it's called that, it's actually not about that. But it's, it's interesting. It's cool. It's really just about fashion. I know there's been a lot of conversation about diversity or lack of diversity or sense of lack of diversity um, in fashion. So there's there's been kind of calls to call out color or race or to kind of make that a little bit more prominent. And I know that you and other some other designers are just like, no, it's just fashion. Like, let's just leave it about fashion. Um, and but the re- the response was fantastic. New York Times loves yeah. it. Everybody loves the exhibit. Were you pleased? Oh, yeah, I was totally pleased with it. I think it's beautiful. I mean, for me, there were a lot of designers that I didn't know about um, that were brought to light. And um, there was a lot of conversations that came up um, through it all. I had the honor of getting to um, speak with Andre Leontali and Tracy Reeves. And, um, you know, Andre gave us such a vast history of, of fashion in general. And Tracy talked about her experiences of being... 20 years in the business and um and i just thought it was it was inspiring and um and i just hope that it will lead to you know maybe not a need for us to even ever have an exhibit like that again i hope yeah me too and he's a fan of yours andre tale i was just reading a review he did of one of your shows i think from uh, vogue 2011 and he just kind of gushes about you because you have it seems like everybody who who starts to discover you or realizes your fashion just immediately falls in love you, there's thank something you. well, but yeah, thank you because there's something just about what you create and how you create it. Um, and I was wondering how much of that came from your background because I know you were born in Ghana, but you studied at FITM and then you also did an architectural degree at um, University of California Berkeley. So were you were you leaning towards fashion or were you leaning towards architecture or how did how did you end up at, in both places with both degrees? Um, I I always wanted to be a fashion designer from a very, very young age. Um, I would say probably like around 11 or 12. It was um, a big dream of mine. And having come from Ghana, I moved to the U.S. when I was five years old. And I was the youngest of six children. And and I'm five years apart from the next oldest. And so um, I kind of was in my own little dream world for a long time. And we, you know, we were kind of a creative family. Like all of us played musical instruments and um, we were into fashion and design, and, and my mom had been a model when she was in Ghana. So um, we we always kind of had a little bit of um, a little bit of the creativity within us. But when as when my mom started seeing that I really wanted to be in fashion, she really wanted to steer me away from it because she felt like it wasn't like a career that you could really take seriously, or it wasn't you know <laughs> it wasn't real. You know, I guess it's kind of like the one in a million shot of trying to be an actor or an actress. And um, and so I just felt like, okay, well, um, I had an uncle who would kind of introduce me to the arts when I was little. I would go and study um, in his home. And he was an architect and he used to paint. And I just felt like, okay, well, if I can't do fashion, um, I'll do 
um, architecture because I felt like it was something that could lead into it. I had done research, and Gianfranco Ferre had been an architect, and a lot of designers always delve a little bit into architecture, so I felt like if architecture didn't work, then I would fall into um, fashion design. And so um, I went to UC Berkeley first, and um, I majored in architecture and minored in dramatic art. And then after that, like, it was always my mission. Like, I knew I was going to go to fashion school. Like, it was just like... <laughs> Were you just keeping it a secret it. from your mom so. and from everybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just was like, I'm doing it. And I didn't tell anyone. And I took out my own personal loan. And I just, I went to fashion school. And, um, and then right after I moved to New York. So, um... I always just, you know, I, I worked in the industry for many years before I launched my brand. I, I worked in the industry for about 12 years, but in my mind, I still, um, I knew I wanted to have my own specific line. I didn't know what I wanted it to be about, but um, I knew I wanted it to have some kind of um, reference to my culture, but I didn't want it to be, you know, just that because I wanted to appeal to the world. I feel like the world is getting smaller. And um, I think we're all cross-contaminating each other, and I think that progress is about integration. So um, I just wanted to find a way to bring in my culture, but also um, do something that was really modern and really new and really fresh that could captivate like a lot of different women. And it, and it's so I, I'm always floored by it because it's so aesthetically stunning the work that you do and the way that you you kind of conceived or conceptualized this idea because I think when when people think about culture and it, yeah it's usually a lot more literal and it's a lot more um, represented represented in a way that that is so I don't know like kind of familiar and yours is just such such a step aside from that so can you explain to people like w what the sculpted dress is and, and where that kind of where that inspiration came from um sure so so my mom has a scar on her cheek and um i had asked her about it when i was much younger and and she told me that when she was 13 it was kind of like a coming of age kind of like a ritual you know and she told me about you know her sisters and her brothers and where they had their scars and kind of what they meant and I was always kind of fascinated by it but she only had one flash mark so I started researching scarification which is what it's called and it's actually um, the cutting of the skin to create patterns um, all over the body and um, why I was specifically interested in the scarification was because um, before colonialism, that was what, you know, fashion was. It was about how you decorated your body. It was like how you painted it, uh, applying flowers, applying feathers, um, making marks and tattoos into your skin. Like that was your fashion. That was how you represented yourself and everybody had their own uniqueness. Um, and, um, and I just thought it was fascinating because now it's really seen as like a, it's banned in a lot of, um, African countries and, it's seen as a very negative, barbaric thing. And, um, and I don't always agree because I think, like, at the end of the day, um, the only thing that's bad about it is that you don't have a choice and maybe you may not want to mark your skin. But um, I also think that there is some beauty in it as well, especially with um, a lot of the Benin cultures. They do it very fine, like, all over the face. The lines are very architectural. And um, I was just fascinated by the different patterns and the meanings and... Um, and a lot of it, like some of them are spiritual. Um, some of them are thought to um, increase um, 
your um, sensuality. Um, it was seen as like erotic to touch the skin and have like the different textures. And so um, we use a lot of leather and I wanted to duplicate that decorating of the body on really modern, clean silhouette and, um, and just use that as, a, as an inspiration because it wasn't something I had seen before. And I just wanted to take something that we don't always conceive as beautiful and make it, you know, beautiful. So... And beautiful, I think, is an understatement. <laughs> I think everybody needs to go to the computer and Google uh, Mimi Plange just to see exactly. So was that something that you've been playing with? Because you, you said that you've been in, um, in fashion for uh, quite a while and you've had your own label for quite a while. Was that something that you've been toying with and then finally kind of mastered enough to bring to market? Or, or was it just, was it an immediate, it just worked? You had a, a vision and you were able to just kind of make it and mold it into this amazing dress. Um, I think I went through a lot of different stages in the beginning. I think I knew what I wanted to do was bring an old tradition into something that was very new. And I knew that I liked, like, the Victorian period a lot. And I like a lot of period um, fashion, um, historical fashion and things like that. But I always wanted to make it really modern. And so I toyed with different um, looks, kind of always mixing Victorian and African looks together. Um, so for Spring, Summer 12, um, we were inspired by the Herrera women um, who are from Namibia. And um, they dress to this day in a, a, in a German Victorian style because um, they were colonized by the Germans during that period of time. And um, they wear a lot of petticoats and they wear a lot of floral. They mix different prints together. And I was always fascinated how it was really during the Victorian period where the style of dress amongst many Africans started to really change. And so we kind of took those elements and made our own prints, and that's when we started getting into the um, into prints and things like that. And I felt like we were always just trying to research traditions. And then when we kind of hit on the scarification, um, I felt like that was exactly, you know, what I wanted to do. But it didn't happen right away. I think we had to um, do a couple of collections first and um, and test some things and then it just seemed like the right thing to do and then trying to figure out how can we incorporate this into a signature style from season to season. And so is it going to stay? Is it going to now be like something, so all, there will always be a piece in the collection that has that kind of, that aesthetic? Yes, for sure. I think now what the challenge is going to be is trying to, um, to find ways to kind of evolve that look but not walk away from it, which I have done in the past before, but in thinking about it, it's become something that people have asked for. It's been pieces that have been in um, different museums, and um, and we created a, a pattern, our own pattern out of it, and um, which is our signature pattern. And I think now it's time to build upon that and um, and grow it in different ways. Like maybe it doesn't have to be a whole entire dress. Maybe it can be just a piecing. Maybe it can just be you know. Um, a small detail, you know, but just using that as an inspiration along with other things, but also using that, you know, so that it becomes our look and our signature, because I think it's really important to have your own signature look because there's a lot of beautiful clothes in the world, but you have to really kind of set yourself apart and be different. Well, I think that's why it's getting such a great reaction and so um, so acclaimed because it, it is so unique and it's so personal and it's so kind of, it mixes cultures, it mixes times, it mixes everything. So I think it's very revolutionary. And I think what also is revolutionary is your business partner because 
it happens often in fashion, but um, for you, your your partner is kind of behind the name because the name is your namesake. But who's your business partner? <laughs> my business partner is Ibrahim Ndoy, and um, he's also my husband. And um, he was born in Senegal. Um, actually, he was born in Paris, but he, he's from Senegal. His um, parents lived in Belgium. And so... Um, he, we met many, many years ago, over 10 years ago, and um, and at that time, he knew I wanted to have my own collection, and, you know, he just always was, like, pushing me. Why not? There's not ever going to be a better time, you know? So if you really want to do something, just, you know, just do it. And he's kind of, you know, been a mastermind behind the business. He keeps everything going. His um, his first personality is always like very upbeat and always like you can do anything and um and it's been amazing to be able to have a partner you know within this um because sometimes us designers can be crazy and we need somebody to kind of ground us and he definitely um brings that to the table and pushes further and i feel like that's why we've been able to do all of these amazing collaborations and um and meeting all these amazing people because he doesn't think that there's any limits to what anybody can do. So that's amazing. Um, We're going to talk about because I want to talk about the vertical integration. I want to talk about your production. I want to talk about all these collaborations. But first, let's just take a quick break. Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas, the new podcast from the anti-hunger organization Share Our Strength, brings together your favorite chefs and amazing social innovators to discuss how food impacts almost every major issue you care about, your health, your environment, and your children's ability to learn. Uplifting stories from chefs like Michelin star winner Jose Andres. People want our respect. People don't want our dirty shoes and our old pens. People want us to show up and show them that they really matter to us. And Top Chef winner Brian Voltaggio. Hunger has many different faces. You can walk down the street every day and see children playing in the playground. They're hungry. They don't know where they're going to get their next meal. They don't know if they're going to have dinner. Can be heard at strength.org slash passion. You can help change the world by changing the way we think about food. Listen at strength.org slash passion. That's strength.org. Dot org slash passion. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm your host, Kate Black. And today we're talking with Mimi Plange about local fashion and fashion in general. So, Mimi, we were just talking about your husband is also your business partner. You produce um, exclusively or almost exclusively in New York. Um, we produce exclusively in New York um, right now. Um, in the past, we have done a few. We've had fabrics um, created for us in Burkina Faso and also in Ethiopia. And um, we've also done some embroideries in India. But we make everything and assemble everything in New York and Midtown. Which is quite unique, right, for, for a fashion label of your size. And is your husband overseeing the production? Did I understand that correctly? 
Um, yes, he does oversee um, the production and um, and you know the quality control and um, just being in the garment district all the time, finding new factories, testing things out with um, with different suppliers. So we're both heavily involved in the process. And why New York? Um, well, as a small designer, I just feel like it's actually easier to, to control your product. And, um, and you know, there's so many factories in the garment district and so many amazing factories. And I just feel like to be able to just get up and go to the factory and check on what's being made, you can see the quality of it. Um, you can change things right then and there. Um, and you can support the garment district because if it wasn't here, it'd be so difficult for designers to be able to to make products because not everybody has the volume. I mean, we're not making 10,000 pieces of any style. So a lot of times when you work overseas, you have to have a much bigger volume for them to work with you. Um, Not all the time, but most of the time. And, um, And I just feel like it just makes it easy for you to be someone like me who has a dream to come to New York and and make your clothes, and you have everything available to you. There's a pleater. You can go get your garments graded. Um, there's somebody who does embroidery. Um, there's people who do buttonholes. Like, you can get everything you need to get done in New York. Um, and I just think that the quality is amazing. And because as a, you can, as a small designer, you can learn so much and, and just, you know, be more hands-on with your product. It's true, and, and the, all of the local skills are kind of a little bit endangered because designers are, are focusing overseas production and not really kind of looking in their own backyard. So I think it's always inspiring when we hear a designer like you talk about how great the talent is and how amazing it is to produce locally. Yeah, it's, um, I just think it's, it just makes it a lot easier, I think, because you can, you can make product overseas, but I feel like you definitely have to travel then. So now you're adding, as a new designer, you're adding like another element of cost to what it is that you're doing. And then you're waiting to receive product, you know, maybe three weeks later to look at a prototype and then to send back your comments and then to wait again and then receive another sample. Um, I think when you're a much bigger entity, that can work a lot better for you. But I think when you're small and starting out, um, I think for me, the best way to go is to you know, go where you're, you know, everything is right here. You know, yeah. you, can, you can do everything in New York. You really can. Like, there's, you can do, I mean, even though we've done very intricate embroideries in, um, in India, a lot of those embroideries that we've done can also be done here in New York. You know, it's just, but there is a matter of cost. So, um, you know, there's all those things that reflect things too. But, um, but yeah, I think you can do it all here. And how many times did did Michelle Obama choose you as as something to wear? Um, fortunately and amazingly, once, um, which I will always cherish, um, and I would love to dress her again. Um, but um, she did wear our piece one time, and she also invited us to the White House for her first celebration of design event, which took place um, last October. And um, it was an invitation to all the designers that had worked with her before and also to educate a bunch of young, um, amazing students who are interested in the arts and the fashion world. So it was kind of like an education party, um, wonderful experience all wrapped into one. So it was a huge, huge honor. And I mean, I, I don't think, you know, designers like us, 
at the end of the day, like she champions so many young designers and I don't think that's ever happened. Like, you know, it helps your business. Um, it, it just did so much and she did it for so many designers, you know, so I just, I just feel so appreciative that I was one of them. It's true. It's such a it's such a subtle but loud platform for, you know, the first lady or if we ever have a president for the for the president to kind of wear local designers and really kind of champion the fashion industry, especially because the fashion industry has such an impact in this country. Um, and I love that. So how did you how did the call come? Did because I've heard that it comes from the stylist in a lot of cases. Is that how you guys connected? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I was told that it was, um, you know, we had been in the New York Times, and I think that's how she discovered us, and, um, and yeah, we just got an email, and it was kind of like, this is not even real, you know, we were <laughs> like, is this even like a real email, <laughs> like, trying to dissect it in every single way, and, um, and then we found out that, um, it was, because I actually, um, received, um, a confirmation from a friend who had also dressed her that it was um, that it was real, and so it was nerve wracking because I was like, okay, well, whatever this is that I <laughs> that we're gonna make, it has to be the best thing that I've ever made in my life, and so um, it was a little stressful because everything had to be so perfect, you know. But I mean, everything always has to be perfect, but the pressure was just really, really on, and um, and it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot, just even. Just being able to, you know, be calm and handle, you know, those type of situations and, and show up, you know, and do what it is that, you know, you're supposed to do when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and I don't know the time frame, but it feels like that that's one of like these phenomenal collaborations that you've been doing um, over the last year or 18 months. So let's talk about the bicycle. Yes. <laughs> um well, the bicycle we made on our own. Um, we found a manufacturer, and we just were like, it was our fifth-year anniversary, and we were excited about it because, as we all know, fashion brands, you know, it's really hard every single season. I think people don't understand how, like, everybody wants to be in the arts, and, and, and fashion design is definitely one of the awesome, fun arts to be in, but um, it's really difficult to keep your businesses going, even when you're an amazing designer. So, um so we were just really happy that we made it to our fifth year, and we celebrated by creating um, 10 limited edition bicycles, and um, we also created a skateboard. And it was just for fun. It was just because at that time, that whole entire summer, um, we had been riding our bikes to the office all the time, and we just had regular bikes. And um, we were like, why don't we make our own bikes and put our names on it because we're always on our bikes. And it was just that simple. And we just decided to make a bike. Oh, my God. And so. they were stunning, like everything else that you do. Okay, and let's talk about the sofa, the planche sofa. Yes. Um, that was an exciting project. Um, that came about, um, you know, just doing business with people. We had done a trunk show um, in Atlanta, um, I think in 2013. And... Um, we were able to, we were allowed to use the, the Bet, um, Bentley's offices and um, to do the trunk show. And so our friend that was at Bentley was friends with um, the woman, the regional director for Roche-Bobois in, um, in the so southern region and just made an introduction. And every year, Roche-Bobois, they do different collaborations. They do them with 
Nissoni and Jean Paul Gaultier, and um, and every store also does these art collaborations with. I mean, they do amazing things. I, I hadn't even known, and I started looking, and they do things with a lot of artists, like in Mexico and all around the world, and things. And and this year, um, it was Atlanta's turn to do a collaboration, and so um, our idea, we just came together. They came to New York to visit us, and um, we talked, and we decided that we would create a mahjong set together. And so um, initially, it was going to be all of our Trapunco embroidery, like our quilted pattern based off of the scarification. And, um, and because that mahjong is all sewn entirely by hand um, by amazing weavers in Italy, um, it was kind of too difficult to sew within the quilting the way the technique in which they do it. So we created um, custom textiles for them. And um, we ended up partnering with um, Horizons Atlanta, which is a charity-based organization that helps um, um, inner-city youth. Um, they also have different divisions across the state. And we decided that we would have a charity event and benef benefiting Horizons. So we made, like, an art one-of-a-kind 22-piece set, um, Mahjong, and then um, it was also sold that evening and a portion of the proceeds went to Horizons. And we also created skateboards and different items. We had a pop-up shop, and we also had part of the proceeds go to Horizons as well. And so um, because the sofa did so well, um, Roche was actually um, doing custom reproductions of it because a lot of the pieces are already sold out. And um, we're actually creating some wallpapers with them at, um, as well. So it's been amazing. That's so great. And and was that a, was that always a plan because of your architectural background? Were you going to move into home? We always wanted to be a lifestyle brand. We didn't know how fast it was going to come about, but um, we definitely wanted to, you know, create multiple products and not just um, clothes. Um, I I just firmly believe in business these days because people. People's attention spans, I think, are a little bit shorter than they used to be because there's so many things, you know. There's um, Instagram and Twitter, and, and you see a picture one day, then you forget about it, and then you're on to the next thing. And I just think that in order for you to touch as many things as possible, you should try to create as much product as possible. So, um, And things that relate to you and your brand. So, you know, this was, this was something that we wanted to do. We just didn't know it was going to come this quickly, but we're happy that it did. And let's talk about producing in Africa, because um, by partnering with the Ethical Fashion Initiative, you're able to produce these pillows that kind of now start to bring your world full circle. Yes. And that initially, um, we had always wanted to work with the Ethical Fashion Initiative. Um, ever since, you know, we, we got to know them, we were like, we have to do something with them. And I want to do more for sure. And so we decided that first we made a few little handbags. Some of them are not out yet. But, um, but we focused on one of our fabrics and introduced the fabric to Roche-Bavois, and Roche-Bavois immediately loved it. And um, we decided, so the first project we did was we made um, one of the sofa pieces, a couple of them, with the fabric from Burkina Faso. And then we also used that same textile to create pillows and, um, and also um, a clutch bag. And so that is our first foray. Um, into like a, a big project with them. We've also used their leathers um, that are all vegetable tan leathers, chrome free, and um, and in the future we hope to be doing more products with them because their quality is amazing. Everything is hand spun. 
Um, it's always been a dream of mine to, to produce in Africa, um, but I really feel like I would like to be able to be there and go there. Like I said, I feel like when you start producing, you should be in the area so you can see everything that's happening. Um, and that's it. So I'm just hoping to grow, you know, more with them. And you went to Ethiopia, right? Where, where the pillows yeah. and the leather work was done. And so did you, did you introduce your Tripunto? Was it, inter- was it, was it interesting for them, this kind of technique and, and like, how did that, how did that kind of conversation or that collaboration go? We did introduce the um, Trapunta, which was entirely new and very, a little complicated because it's a very time, tedious work. And I was there for a week and um, we did do a couple of samples of it. And I think that in order to perfect it, we definitely have to keep going. Um, It's different work than they they had been used to um, because it's really just decorating the skin itself. But it's definitely work that they can do for sure. Um, But it's slower work. You know, it's um, it's a little bit slower. And that's and that's another thing that, you know, just thinking of working in New York, it's easy to produce like one or two or three pieces. But I also think like it may not be as cost effective for them to create just like one or two or three pieces for you, you know, because it's better to do production where you can create the work. That is really why you want to go to Africa or any other country and provide work for the the community. And so um, I think once we get our sampling past a certain point and we have bigger quantities for production, then I think that we would be contributing more and helping them out instead of, you know, making a few pieces here and there. So that's one thing that I definitely, um, you know, I think I think when we get more quantity and higher, you know, orders, I think that that's when it would really be effective for them, because that really is the point of working with Ethical Fashion Initiative, because you want to generate money within the communities and you want them to be able to work and you want to create a system, you know, that gives back. And so what's your kind of long-term plan? You're going you're gonna to continue to go to Ethiopia and get that um, and create that work opportunity there. And then do you have other countries that you, that you dream about or that you kind of also want to do collaborations with or in? I definitely want to do something in Ghana, where I'm <laughs> from. And, um, and initially that was the first space that we were looking at because the Ethical Fashion Initiative did have a factory there. Um, but then they moved on to Burkina Faso and, um, and Ethiopia is a new um, hub and Kenya too, um, which I also went to Kenya with them um, to talk about leather. But yes, Ghana would be probably one of my biggest, um, if I could do some work and produce there and make things there and even probably show there, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And and for people who don't know, the Ethical Fashion Initiative is is kind of a, a sub-branch of the UN that's working, trying to pair uh, designers like Mimi with artists and groups so that they can create work, not charity. So that's their tagline, just work, not charity, so that they can kind of bring work back to um, creative groups and to creative communities that, that need need the support of designers like Mimi, but also could use the work. Um, so the Black Fashion Designer Show um, is on exhibit at FIT Museum until May the 16th. Where can people find you? Where can people kind of catch up on the news with your latest collaborations and, and buy products from you? What's the best way? The best way is on our website at www.mimiplonge.com. 
And also um, on our Instagram and social media pages, um, we're at Uniponge across the board. And um, yeah, those are the best places to find our work. And anything coming up? Anything you want to kind of give us a little hint on? Um, the only two two things are coming up. I'm working on a new collection, um, which I need to hurry up and finish. But um, I started working on a new collection that um, hopefully will debut. Maybe not during Fashion Week, um, either a little before, maybe a little after. And um, also in February, I will be doing a talk with um, Dr. Valerie Steele of um, FIT. Um, they're going to do a, a Black Fashion Symposium um, that kind of reflects the show that's ongoing right now and we're going to have an intimate conversation with um, British designer um, Grace Wales Boner and um, we're just going to talk about our experiences in the fashion industry and that's February I don't remember the exact date right now and I should but um, but that's in February okay so people can find that on the FIT museum site you're also going to join an eco sessions panel and we're going to talk about local production and why that's important especially in New York City um, and people yes. can find that on the eco sessions Facebook um, group for eco sessions NYC so that's great thank you so much Mimi for making the time and and joining me today and sharing your stories it's been amazing Thank you. Thank I want. You. I need to thank Heritage Radio Network, which has lots of great indie programs about food, the planet, and other topics. You can see Magnifico and all the other shows at heritageradionetwork.org. And I hope you visit magnifico.com to sign up for our newsletter. And if you have any feedback, questions, want to be a sponsor, recommend a guest, please email me at radio at magnifico.com. Until next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.